Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for uh, joining in today. With me today, I have Wayne Benson. Wayne was one of my first mentors at the age of 14. He's an entrepreneur through and through, and I'm really excited to have him on the show. Wayne, thank you for uh, taking time of your schedule today to be here. Hey, happy to be here. Wayne is an owner-operator at Amico. He basically runs three companies there, and I got to know him when he started up uh, a salon in Newmarket, Ontario. And so, Wayne, I'll throw it over to you to give yourself a little more of an introduction and what it is that exactly you do. Sure. Okay. Um, well, in my case, I've always aspired to be uh, an entrepreneur, and uh, I got my first chance to do that uh, by starting. I was always into fitness and health. And I got my first chance to do that with two of my closest friends when we uh, started a day spa back in the 2000 time frame. And at that time, spas were sort of up and coming, and it was a big deal uh, for a lot of people. And, and uh, myself, I got educated about spas. Uh, we ended up uh, getting an old historical home that was about 4,000 square feet. And uh, it was uh, built on trial and error. We learned a lot about uh, uh, massage, uh, you know, aesthetics, uh, things that we were not familiar with. But as an entrepreneur, you have no choice but to, you know, try to immerse yourself into that and then create a wonderful experience for your uh, for your clientele. So that was an, uh, a great uh, learning uh, uh, business for me because it was really my first time that I invested a lot of money and uh, had to really make my money back. And uh, I really looked at it very much just like a business. And some of my favorite things about that particular business is you made feel people feel really great who were stressed. A lot of moms uh, would come in. And, uh, you know, it was kind of cool because they would thank you for taking care of them. In the meantime, they were giving you money uh, for the services rendered. So... That was kind of a, a unique formula, and it was interesting. Uh, but with that, I also learned a lot of things that I don't want to do. And uh, I found that for my style, uh, my preference is to have something that I could do more on a global scale. And I felt uh, a little bit more limited with a brick-and-mortar location uh, that was a day spa, although it was unique. Uh, it was hard to duplicate again and again and again uh, without kind of going into a franchise method, and, and I didn't really want to do that. I felt there was probably a better uh, a better business out there for me and something that would maybe not be quite as difficult as, as this one would be uh, should I try to expand on it. So I also learned you know some good lessons along the way. It's difficult to have businesses with friends, especially your, your closest friends. So um, anyone out there that is uh, considering uh, going into business with their close friends, I would uh, ask them to you know probably do their homework first. You might find out uh, some things that, you know, other people that experienced what I experienced, uh, the people that I went into business with, I'm not friends with uh, anymore. Uh, and they were uh, close friends of mine for a long time. So uh, I would say, you know, just be careful who you go into business with and uh, make sure uh, that, you know, you've really, really thought out whether or not to, to go into business with your, your close and best friends. Uh, so today I'm, I make it a habit of not 
hiring directly my closest friends uh, in my new companies uh, as I continue to grow, and I've got more business colleagues as opposed to friends in the business. So that was a great life lesson for me. And was the spa your first business? I, it was not my first business. Uh, I also had another business with a friend of mine in uh, Dallas when I lived down there. I was working for a big company, and we started a uh, computer business that uh, worked with uh, Lawson ERP systems. Uh, he was uh, working at Texas, and my friend was working at Texas Instruments, and um, uh, a guy who I, you know, just kind of knew when I had moved to Dallas, so he was relatively a new friend, and uh, he was getting into software. And at that time, he needed a, a strong salesperson uh, to come in and work with him and, and build a business with him. So we started that company together, and then I had to uh, leave that business because uh, I was moving back to Canada from Dallas. Uh, and at that time, uh, the, the business was doing, you know, very well. Uh, um, but I had to, unfortunately, uh, leave that one. And today, uh, that company is uh, wildly successful. I think bigger than we ever thought it would have become. And, and uh, the guy who I started that business with now is a multimillionaire. Awesome. And what kind of software company was that? Uh, it was, uh, uh, the company was called Intellius, or is called Intellius. And uh, they basically take an ERP system, which is expense uh, planning reporting, uh, for big businesses like an SAP, uh, the backbone, the software that drives a company. And what it does is, uh, you know, it, it will uh, calculate all the vacation hours, uh, payroll uh, schedules, uh, it does invoicing, it does uh, inventory management. And what he would do is he would create um, a system that would speed this up. So you could do it at one click of a button. It would run through many, many different uh, um, scenarios to, to be able to arrive at an end result much faster. So he, he basically took a, a, a loss in software uh, and turned it into a Ferrari. Uh, really good, and it would save... The companies who used his services, it would save them tremendous amount of uh, man hours and, and labor hours and money. Uh, so it was well worth the investment. And at what age did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Like, what made you realize that this is the path <clears throat> for you? Uh, well, I was supposed to. I always did well in school, and uh, I always kind of felt a little bit different than. Uh, say my parents, uh, because my dad was an electrician, and my mom was a school teacher, and my mom always kind of pushed me to become a, a teacher also. And I, I used to, I've always loved working with uh, people and teaching them and helping them, and I think what happened was, um, at one point I was supposed to go to university, and I didn't go to university. And uh, I, you know, tried to go to three different universities, and I thought my parents were going to pay. Uh, and they sort of uh, called my bluff, and they didn't pay. So then I had to go to college. Uh, but prior to going to college, I worked one year uh, on my own at Champ Sports, uh, which was a great place for a guy who's sporty like myself. And 
I spent a year buying shoes and sports equipment with my paychecks, and I loved sales. So sales for me was so much fun. And I thought, you know, I can't believe they pay me to sell things. I'm used to people having to do, like, contractor-type jobs, right? I'm used to having to do physical labor for money in exchange for money. So I thought that was pretty cool that I could just talk to people and make even more money than if I were to, you know, lay bricks and things like that. That was physically demanding. And uh, I also knew later on in life that your body is going to eventually give up, especially me, because I knew how active I was that eventually I'd be having a, a limp at some point. So um, I just decided at that time that sales is really an avenue that I wanted to go. And just like uh, you and I played tennis together, and just like uh, when we were playing tennis, we had mentors in tennis, right? We had Brian. Yes, we did. Who was, yeah, and he was our guy, right? And uh, so what happened was uh, I just said, you know, I need to find like a good mentor for business, someone that, that would, you know, that I look up to. And there was a, a friend of mine, his, fa his father always had nice cars and was well-spoken. And I was like, what does that guy do for a living? Found out he had his own business. And he, he was the guy that, uh, you know, really got me kind of started and on a path. Because uh, I would see what he would, how he would coach his own son. And I would sort of be the outside guy. And I would just go, hey, that, that sounds like a good idea for my life. Uh, he told him to go to marketing in college. Uh, so uh, I asked him a bunch of questions about that, and he's like, yeah, marketing is a great course to take because you can go so many different directions. You can go into advertising, you can go into sales, you, you, know, you can run your own business, you can do all these different things. So I said, you know, that's a great idea. Uh, I think that's what I'm going to do as well. So I went to the same school as his son did uh, just a couple years later, and uh, I graduated from there. And while I was there, I got to tell you, I always, always said, I want to run my own business. I have to get into my own business. And I used to just read a lot of books uh, regarding business, you know, um, big believer in uh, people like, you know, Tony Robbins. He, you know, I always would travel and, and uh, listen to him on audio cassette at the time. That's what people did back uh, then, you, right? When they had Walkmans and CD players and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, and then the uh, anti-skip uh, CD players. But yeah, I used to do that a lot. And, uh, you know, it just as I kept progressing and growing and growing and feeding my brain, I automatically just started to get more and more uh, mentors and find more people that were doing and living the life that I wanted to live. So uh, when I got out of school, you know, I always had the intent of working somewhere to, to learn the attributes that I would need to be successful in business. So it didn't matter where I worked. It mattered who I worked with, if that makes And so sense. would you say from your first job at Champs when you really understood that he liked selling and being around people and interacting and learning and you can make money off that, is that what kind of fueled your vision to start identifying mentors and finding people that could help you build a life that you saw other people having? Yeah, I mean, it definitely it definitely 
played a role. Uh, I think just it was always innate to me that if I wanted to be good at something, I had to find someone who was already doing what I wanted to do. So it's probably started with sports more than anything. Probably looked at you know people in hockey or tennis or golf or whatever I was doing, and I just would sort of latch myself to someone who was really good at those sports. And then, you know, through osmosis, I would become good at those sports, right? So it was the exact same formula when I wanted to do my own business, exact same thing. I think that's one of the first things you told me early on in my life was that if you're going to be a business guy, you have to find mentors. You have to find people that you can look up to and will teach you what it is you're looking to do. And I think that was a really valuable insight because when you're 14, you don't really... You know, you're looking at life trying to figure out what you want to do. And so just even that simple notion of finding people that can help you along your path has been, you know, really insightful. And you've always kind of been there for me and I've always appreciated that. But I'd be curious to know, like, so who was one of the most important mentors in your life or something that's really stood out and what impact did they have for you? Uh, let me think about that. So there, I've had several. That's the... It it's never hard stops. to... Because it just depends on... It depends on the stage, uh, of life right. that you're in. So in my case, uh, you know, when I wanted to decide on uh, where I was going to go to school and all those things, uh, that was my friend's father, right? He chose uh, a path for his son, and I knew he was super successful, certainly much more successful than my family uh, ever experienced. You know, they had a great big house, nice cars. Uh, all those things, and, and uh, we had a beat-up station wagon and a much smaller house. So it was just, I wanted. To, I just said, hey, you know, how come this guy gets all that? So the fact that he had all that just sort of helped me get clarity on what I wanted out of life. If and and so then as I finished school, then I went into another business, and there was a guy who's like me that was running the company, and his name was uh, Charles, and he was this like gregarious guy, really wonderful person to be around, magnetic personality, always make you laugh, um, but when it came down to business, I mean, he was all business, and he was uh, tough when he needed to be tough, and for me, that was, you know, he was a, I got to work alongside of him, and he was a huge inspiration for me. Um, and then when he sold the company, I moved, I had an opportunity to move with that company down to Dallas. And then I met a guy um, who was my sales manager. Uh, his name was Wes. And Wes lived in uh, El Paso, Texas. And this guy was so wonderful as far as learning how to sell. And he used to uh, paint such beautiful pictures when he was selling, just the way that he would make things come up, right? He would stand in front of people and he'd say, I feel like, you remember that movie Ghostbusters when this guy did that? And he goes, that's exactly how I feel today in front of you when I'm talking about this product. You know, and he just kind of, he'd always find common ground with everybody. So he was a great uh, mentor. And then uh, when I finished with him and I moved back to Canada, uh, then it was time to find a new mentor. And I started my own company, obviously the spa at that time, but 
I was really hungry and thirsty for a new mentor. And uh, as, as serendipity would have it, I ended up running into Charles again, who, you know, obviously was the old president that I worked with. Charles is the president and he at told Amico, me, right? No, he was the president at Abisco, at Abisco, another company. He was the owner-operator of Abisco. However, the president of Amico was his partner uh, at the time. He was a silent investor, so you know he wasn't as involved in the business. His name was Albert. And Albert used to come into Abisco and he would go straight to accounting and he would talk about the books and he would, you know, focus on those kinds of things. I always found him a bit scary and intimidating uh, when I first met him. Uh, but then what happened was uh, I went to this wedding and Charles told me that Albert is looking for uh, a sales person. And I remembered Albert was, he's sort of the top of the food chain. Uh, so to speak, when it comes to business people that I knew in my life. So I knew he was quite successful, had bought and sold and built multiple companies. So I said, okay, um, this guy should be on my in my crosshairs for the new mentor position. So um, on the Monday, I, I met Charles Saturday, and on the Monday morning, I called Albert and said, hey, you know, I understand you're looking for a salesperson, and I'd like to come in and talk to you about this. And my intent at the time, because I own the spa and I worked at the spa, my intent at that time was to uh, feel him out and see if he'd be interested in being my business partner on something and try to convince him that I'd be a good business partner. So we went in there and uh, went to this company, and it had grown since I had seen it uh, years ago. I he had moved into a building that was uh, 75,000 square feet. And I knew it that, you know, way back when he used to manufacture outlets uh, that go into hospitals. Those are the uh, little small, looks like uh, it's an outlet and it, and it delivers medical gases. And I knew that he used to design and manufacture those and sell them all over the world. But, uh, you know, I didn't know he was that big. And I guess over the years, he had grown in that Medgas pipeline area. So he, he moved into this new building with an intent to get into the architectural business, which, is, which are head walls uh, that you'd see at the head of a patient. So if you walked into an ICU room, there'd be a head wall there, and that head wall would be filled with those Medgas outlets. Just to provide the so uh, a, listeners in context, so Amico is a medical supplies company, right? You guys do a lot of stuff for hospitals, and so everything from what's the range of supplies and products that you guys produce there? Um, well, today it's grown into something quite large, um, and, I'll, and I'll get into that because it's kind of a unique story. Um, but we, we manufacture, design and manufacture and distribute equipment, medical equipment, all over the world. And you'd call Amico when you're building a hospital, renovating a hospital, or expanding a hospital. We do a lot of the capital equipment that would go in there. So our slogan often would be from the basement to the bedside. So we'd make manufacture everything from uh, everything from... The source equipment in the basement of the hospital, which are the pumps and compressors that supply the medical gases, uh, then it goes through alarms and manifolds, uh, all of the equipment that we make, all the way up to the outlet 
which uh, gets attached uh, with other equipment, and, and that's what then goes to the patient. So, um, and we manufacture a lot of the things from the basement all the way to that bedside, including the bed. So, uh, we call this and we refer to it as the Amico ecosystem. And, and, you know, that has continued to grow uh, because of uh, a business philosophy that Albert had uh, way back when. Uh, So, if I could just step back for a second... When I came in to see Albert and I walked through, he told me he was going to start a brand new company uh, or business, expand into a new product area, the headwall business. And he asked me to uh, consider being his director of sales. So I uh, said, yes, you know, I would love to do that. But, you know, to be honest with you, I, I really want to be your business partner on something. And I, I would like that opportunity. He said, well... Unfortunately, you can't have that right now because I don't know what kind of bad habits you've picked up. I I remember you from my my other business and you did a great job there, but I don't know how many bad habits you picked up. So why don't you come and work with me for a couple of years and at that point we'll talk about it. So I said, absolutely. If I know there's a (laughs) chance, one million, if they're saying there's a chance, I'm in. So I went back to my other partners at the spa um, and at the time, we, I only had one other partner. We'd bought out the other guy. Uh, I just said, listen, you know, this is not uh, my passion, and I want to get into manufacturing, and, and I have this opportunity. This is what I like to do. And, uh, you know, I hope Trust You can kind of run the businesses day to day, and uh, I'll step back and uh, jump into this uh, new opportunity. So I did that and uh, ran the spa for another year or so after I took the job as a director of sales. So I would go there in the evenings and do my day job, uh, and that was kind of a tumultuous year. I ended up selling my ownership to that business partner uh, and, uh, and then moving on and sort of closing that chapter. Uh, but when I came to Amico, I just saw a huge opportunity, and what happened with Albert is Albert's the type of guy that has bought and sold multiple companies. At 50 years old, he had uh, a heart attack. Uh, which made him question a lot of things in life. Made him say, you know, if I went out today, what would be my legacy? What will I have left behind? And he said, I haven't given back enough. I've certainly had a wonderful life up to this point, but what I have is business knowledge and business acumen. And what I need to share is that business knowledge. So this was sort of perfect scenario for me because he was looking for a student, I was looking for a mentor, and that's what built this partnership and this friendship. And so he, uh, through you know just good days and bad days and difficult days, you know, we built this huge company now. And what happened was when I first started uh, with him as a director of sales, we built the headwall business. Uh, to be quite a, a sustainable business after only two years. Uh, it grew very fast, and we at the time we had the Canadian dollar in our favor, so we were able to go in with some great pricing. We had some good designs uh, for these head walls, and we were able to take market share from our competitors. Uh, and, and it wasn't easy, but we had a, a you know we'd hired some very good guys. 
that helped us build that company. And two years in, Albert gave me an opportunity to buy a company with him in New York that did the source equipment. So he essentially shipped me out of Amico Architectural and put me into uh, Amico Source, and I became an owner with him in that business. Uh, and this was a business that was related to the medical gas pipeline, and he needed that product line to complete his MedGas ecosystem. So every time that you sell MedGas pipeline, you look at uh, source equipment. You always want source equipment. So when we uh, bought that, we had a total of three people. It was a company that was going bankrupt uh, for you know other you know many reasons which I won't get into. But we essentially amicalized that company. We took all the business philosophies that we came to learn at Amico uh, that Albert preaches and teaches, and we implemented that down there. And today we're probably uh, you know, the second largest in the world uh, in that product category, so it's really, really grown. Uh, and that was back in May of 2006 that we started, so we'll be uh, 10 years in May of 2016, and it's been a, a hell of a ride. Uh, some very, very difficult days. Uh, that's the biggest thing that you have to understand in a business. You're going to go through uh, a lot of tough days where you, you show your true character and you determine whether you're going to continue and move forward and figure out the problems as you go, as you move. Um, and I certainly did that. That was something that, you know, really shaped me and molded me and made me uh, the business person that I am today. There were times when I just thought, I just... I don't know what to do next. And, uh, and in moments like that, what did you do? Like when you encountered a problem, you're like, I don't know what to do. What is, how do you get through that? Well, I think you have to dig deep. It's like uh, when you're down, uh, you know, five games to zero and you got to dig deep, you figure out a way to, to come back and beat your opponent. So it's the same kind of thing. You, you have to... Uh, look deep within and uh, I would say figure out how to um, you know really isolate the problem and isolate and, and uh, when you isolate a problem then everything kind of goes away and, and you can just sort of fix those problems one by one and that's that's really what I did and, and I just also, I'm a, I would say there's an, a huge element of risk, right? You uh, have to risk. Uh, sometimes you have to risk it all. And that's what I did. I said, you know, we're going to move forward or we're going to bust. Sounds very Elon you know, Musk-ish. Elon Musk always talks about distilling things to the uh, fundamental physics principles, right? He's all about distilling things to the most fundamental forms. And that's when you can really make mm -hmm. good and accurate decisions, right? Because at that point in time... You have the information in front of that you in front of that you need to make a decision, and he's risked his company mm -hmm. several times too, right? Tesla, SpaceX, he's mm -hmm. bankrolled them and been on the verge of bankruptcy many times, and so that just may be an overlying theme with being an entrepreneur. Oh God, yeah, absolutely. I don't know any real successful entrepreneur that wouldn't say there was there were days where they had to bet it all uh, and and risk everything to try to get things uh, moving forward. 
Um, obviously, you know, you can try to reduce the amount of risk, and there's different levels of risk. Uh, but nonetheless, you have to take risks if you want to be in your own business. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, what we try to do uh, at Amico is we really focus on getting the data. And we always talk about data, data, data. Uh, we refer to it as G2, which I guess is an old war term for getting the information. And what we try to do is remove our opinions uh, from things. So if I feel like something uh, versus I know because this is the data, uh, we always focus on the data. So we try to remove opinions uh, as much as we can. And it's hard to understand the difference between opinions and, the, and data. Obviously, sometimes you have to go with your gut on certain things, but it's based on information real information, live information that you've collected over the years or over the last few months. Um, so, and the date, the one thing about data is it's always changing. So uh, where we're marching forward today in a direction, uh, it might change tomorrow. And, and that depends on the data. So that really ultimately is a huge part of what has grown Amico and, uh, you know, we started out with this headwall business, and then we grew into uh, a labs business. We grew into a lighting business, uh, all inside the medical field. And what we found is uh, when we used to build a room, we'd get a couple hundred dollars in that room, maybe up to $500 of med gas equipment. Uh, now today we're getting hundreds of thousands of dollars because we've added so many new products. And we continue to add products. And what's nice about that is now we become like a, essentially a Walmart or a Costco of medical equipment. So when the hospital goes up, the architectural and engineering community, they get to know Amico. So when they're building a hospital, we're one of the companies they think of uh, to contact uh, for drawings and for information uh, and so sometimes what happens is they'll put us in a specification. Sometimes we just have to be an or equal, and they put someone else in a specification. But what's nice about Amico is the fact that you can uh, literally buy so many items, which reduces the amount of work and effort uh, required by the people who are coordinating to build a hospital. Because you've got to think, you've got to contact so many different suppliers uh, just think when you're building a house and all the different things that go into a house from your plumbing fixtures to your lighting to your flooring, um, all of these things, if you could buy it from one place that manufactures everything from the raw material, uh, then that would make your life a little easier. And, you know, hopefully they give you, uh, you know, great service and, and you're used to a certain standard of, of product that gets designed and built. Uh, so it's sort of understanding and, and establishing a brand for yourself out there. So when today, if someone is building that that hospital, they can call so many other hospitals that have been built using Amical products. And as each hospital goes up with new and improved Amical products, uh, what we're finding is a snowball effect. So hospitals are calling other hospitals about their experience with Amico. And then it just continues to, to grow and, and get stronger. And now we're getting calls where before we, 
used to always have to pound the phones to try to get some sort of exposure to us because we'd say uh, Amico, and uh, for the longest time they thought we were Nabisco and selling crackers. And you know, why are you calling me? Um, so it was it was really uh, nice to see us get to that level where they go, oh yeah, I know you. But as we enter into new product categories, which we've been doing over the last 12 years, we've created 12 new companies and product lines. Um, and I mentioned how Albert wanted to give back because of his heart attack. Uh, he created uh, what we call the jockey system today. And this is totally something unique. Uh, and anyone else listening out there, it's a crazy model. Uh, a difficult model, but a very rewarding one at the same time. And what he did is he would give a salesperson that worked for him uh, for anywhere from usually six to ten years, give them an opportunity to start their own business with him. And uh, he would give them as much as 50% of that company. Uh, it was really, really a great opportunity for the salespeople that had you know, made Albert a lot of money over the years. And today there are six of us that go out there and, and build companies. Uh, and we always refer to each other as the jockeys. Uh, and each jockey uh, is responsible for their own P&L statements. They have their own product lines. And what happens when you do that is you get someone like me that, for example, hasn't made their nut yet, so to speak. And so all I do, I have one business that does uh, source equipment, another one that does uh, lights and booms. And if I focus on lights and booms for a second, I I actually design and manufacture the LED light that goes into an operating room. And that LED light consumed probably five years of my life. And all I could think about was how I would design this LED light to be better than everyone else in the market. Uh, so that people would want to buy my light instead of theirs. And Albert would help me uh, along the way, uh, but by and large, it was my product, and I designed it. He wouldn't have the mind share to be able to do what I did with the Lights and Booms product line. He just wouldn't have the time to, or energy or desire, because he's already a multimillionaire. Why would he kill himself trying to create the best products? So this jockey program, when he inserted six people over time, over the past 12 years, when he inserted them into this business, those people all did what I did and they in their respective product lines. All they did was they focused on their product line and designed it to be the best it could possibly be. And because they were salespeople, guess what they wanted to do? They wanted to design something that would give them less objections. So when they were in a sales call, it would be a much easier sale. So we call this overwhelming force. And when we go to design stage, we actually reverse engineer a sales call. So if I were to talk to you about a tennis racket, and I, you know, just off the cuff, if you and I were gonna go into business and we were gonna design a tennis racket, we would sit there and we would say, okay, what are the kinds of things right now that I would like to say to you about that tennis racket? Don't know if it exists, but this is what I would like to come up with. Uh, and I would just make up things and I would talk about things and then I would research what 
other tennis rackets have out there and get a strong understanding of what is the gold standard in tennis rackets. Figure out the must-haves in that tennis racket. And then I would move forward and design my product. So taking that philosophy, and because we had that background in sales, uh, it really, really helped us design some fantastic products. So now if you look at our product range, I think over the past 12 years, it's unbelievable what we've designed and, and built. Sometimes I have to pinch myself and look back and I can't believe how many products we have designed and how many markets we've entered and are continuing to enter. So in 2016, we still have two more companies that are launching. Uh, we launched another one last in 2015. So every year, it seems we've launched a new company, a new product line. I don't know how long we'll continue to do that, uh, but it's quite fascinating to see how we've grown and grown and grown over the years, uh, all because Albert basically wanted to give back. So uh, I think you know the lesson here is uh, people talk often about karma, and they talk about how you know you should always pay it forward. Well, here's a guy who went out to try and help other people uh, achieve. Uh, some kind of wealth uh, similar to you know what he did and he in return ended up becoming even more wealthy and he said but that wasn't the objective you know the objective was to help other people and he said but it's just sort of the the way the world works and uh, you know he's super happy uh, he's approaching 70 years old loves to come into work every day he still you know goes on vacation so he's he, you know, probably vacations 12 times a year, or 12 year, 12 weeks a year, I should say. And uh, but he's in in the office all the time and having a great time because if you think about it, if you're him, he sort of built this huge business, which I don't think he really predicted uh, for it to turn out this way. Uh, but he's having the time of his life because he goes to see me uh, to learn about LED lights and, and booms and. So the improvements I've made in source equipment, and we're getting ready to launch a third company uh, this year, and he's been part of that. Uh, so every day he just gets uh, all these new things thrown at him by the jockeys, and, and he gets to add input and and sort of coach and counsel them on uh, the things that he's you know learned over the years. And uh, it sort of gets us uh, further ahead faster. And also when we go to lunch now, we go to lunch with all the jockeys, and they all talk about their business uh, and the things that are going on in their business and the difficulties that they're facing. So we get that support group as well. So that that's something that I think is uh, very unique about this program, because most entrepreneurs will tell you uh, that it's lonely at the top, and you know the board meetings are them in a mirror. And, uh, you know, it is like that for us, but uh, now as we've evolved, uh, we do have each other to listen to, and we do learn from each other uh, in the mistakes that we make and also the successes that we make. So when one person is successful somewhere, uh, then, you know, we all obviously all jump on onto that wagon and try to, uh, you know, ride it to the sunset. And... As we grow and the hospitals get to know us, if we get in there with our head walls, uh, then there's an opportunity for to get the operating rooms. And then there's an opportunity to get the emergency rooms. So as we add more products, um, 
we get more exposure to these hospitals and we become more and more important to them. So I think that's a, you know, a, a wonderful story of someone that uh, through karma and through an incident in their life had a huge impact, but it always goes back to the same thing, and that is uh, my message to everybody is find, find your mentor. There's always a need for a good mentor. That's the key thing. One thing I want to ask on that um, thread before we kind of move off that, it sounds like Amico is structured like um, basically an umbrella company for startups. Is that kind of how it's set up where you guys have different business owners within Amico that kind of come off and launch different avenues of the business? Yes, that's right. So what happens is uh, over the course of normal business, uh, we started out with medical gas pipeline products. Customers started to ask us for head walls. We said, what are head walls? And we started to learn about head walls, and then we built head walls. And then people started to ask us about booms, and we were like, okay, what's a boom? Uh, and it's a medical pendant arm that moves around. It's kind of like a floating head wall, if you will. Uh, so then we started designing and making those. Then they asked for uh, kinds of things. We started designing those, uh, medical lighting uh, throughout the rooms, started designing that. So it just organically has grown over the years. And uh, I will emphasize that every division that comes out often is a new company and it's a new owner, uh, depending on the share breakdown. Uh, but they're responsible for their own P&L. So we have the, the baby companies that come out uh, or grow up inside the business. And what we have that's really nice as a support tool is we have common marketing expenses. We have common IT expenses. So everybody pays into those uh, common elements, which are... Um, owned and operated by Amico Corporation, which is the big parent company, uh, the one that's been around the longest. Uh, that's Albert's company specifically, and he's the uh, the owner of, of that company that does the MedGas pipeline in our protectural business, in our, in our group. When someone's looking for a mentor, what kind of qualities and characteristics do you think they should be looking for in a mentor? Like, based on your experience, <laughs> what should they be trying to find? Uh, that one's easy for me. Uh, find someone who is uh, living the life that you want to live, uh, whatever it is. You might uh, aspire to be a fantastic skateboarder. You, you know, you might aspire to be a singer. Uh, whatever it is, you decide. Find someone who is already doing it. You know, find someone who's successful and, and is, uh, you know, living the life that you want to live. Essentially, and you admire that person, and uh, you know, pick pick a strong mentor. Pick someone that um, you know is also willing to help you, right? So it's a, it's like a marriage. You can't love a person they don't love you back. So you got to find someone who's interested in helping you, and uh, you have to express that you're you would need help, and you want to essentially live the same life that they have. And, uh, you know, in some cases, some people might feel threatened by that. Some other mentors might feel threatened. And, and if that's the case, then move on. Find a new mentor. There's so many people out there that are uh, doing fantastic things. You just got to find them. 
You've talked a bit about the jockey system, and in the business world, people always talk about betting on jockeys, finding management that's going to succeed and execute. Uh, I'm sure some of the viewers here, they're aspiring to be jockeys themselves. So what kind of characteristics are do good jockeys have? Like, based, you've seen a few jockeys, you're a jockey yourself. Like, what kind of characteristics do you need if you are going to be building a business or you were looking to hire a partner with somebody? What would you be looking for? What do you think are some of the key qualities that somebody should really be focusing on? That's a great question. Everybody wants to be a jockey. It's like, in general, everybody, you know, if you were to have a room full of people and say, who in this room wants to be a millionaire? Uh, I don't think there'd be a single person that wouldn't put their hand up. Uh, the problem is not everybody can be a millionaire and uh, not everybody can run businesses. So uh, a jockey is a very, very difficult, um, it's, it's a tall order to to fill because we've had you know I think we're approaching 600 people uh, and if you think about that at Amico we have six jockeys so it's a hundred to one odds that you can become a jockey at some point uh, and something that you absolutely must have first and foremost is a very strong ability to sell and communicate your ideas. So that would be, first and foremost, just because if you can't sell, it's almost impossible to start a company. Because when you start a company, you are the sales guy. You're designing, you're producing, you're doing everything. And the other things are trainable. Uh, they uh, can be taught over time. So to learn how to purchase, to learn how to produce to learn how to quality control, uh, to learn all those things, I think is more mechanical. Whereas sales is sort of something that is more of a gift. You uh, you can learn, um, you know, tons and tons of people can become great salespeople in all different ways. Someone might be very gregarious, someone else might not be. Uh, doesn't mean one's going to be more successful than the other. However, the end result is you have to be fantastic at persuading people to uh, buy your products or services. And I think every jockey has that ability. Uh, they have to be able to express their ideas and sway a crowd or an audience to their products. And once they have that, Albert, for example, can move in as a mentor and put the systems in place for production and quality uh, and purchasing, all these different things that you don't think of as a salesperson and you're not trained to do, but they are relatively mechanical. Uh, so once you understand the system and the philosophy, they can be taught. Uh, but sales is really something you have to come in with that strong ability and that knowledge. Uh, the next thing would certainly be uh, drive. Uh, you know, you have to be a driven individual. You can't uh, come in and, and put in half an effort. It's just not going to happen. So you have to uh, be willing at the beginning to give up your evenings and your weekends and, and, and build a business and really care about a business. It's uh, like the, you know, the uh, outliers, the book the Outliers. Uh, when you listen to that book uh, by Malcolm, he, he will tell you that 
all of the best sports people, for example, they put in their time. You talked about the 10,000 hour rule. That's, that's the same, same rule applies to business. You have to put in your time. And so if you're not driven, if you don't have that sales ability and you're not driven, uh, you're not going to be able to uh, do this type of thing. Uh, the other thing is, uh, you know, you have to be able to understand there's a, there's a risk always when you start your own business. It doesn't always work. Uh, and we've, we, you know, we've had scenarios where it hasn't worked. Uh, you know, we've tried a couple of other uh, candidates for this position. It doesn't always work out the way you, you, you hope it did. Um, but you go in strong intentions to make it work. And it, even with all of the support tools and all the things that are in place at Amico, doesn't mean you're guaranteed success. So I think if you have that sales ability um, and, and you're, you're driven uh, and you're, you have a, a palette for risk, you'd be okay. We got about 10 minutes here before we wrap up, so I don't want to mean to rush you, but I do want to get through some uh, more rapid-fire questions, so kind of uh, sure. we'll go through a quick rooms. Uh, first off, you read a book called The Talent Code. The yeah. Talent Code? Okay, no. it's about the 10,000-hour rules. It talks about like, the neuroscience of talent and success and also like great mentors and teachers. I'll have to send you a copy okay. of that. I think you'd really enjoy it. But Is that, is that the same guy that wrote uh, Outliers? No, it's Malcolm? different, but it's kind of along that 10,000-hours philosophy, right, just really talking about what it takes to succeed. And I do recommend to the audience if anyone's looking to kind of understand what it takes to kind of become successful at anything. They look at tennis players. They look at people play violins, soccer, like different professions and they distill basically what it is that has allowed them to succeed. They look at it from the neuroscience level, from the teachers, and just like the repetitions that you need. And so it falls in line with that 10,000 hours philosophy. And so it is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. One thing I know you guys sent when the 33 Chilean miners were trapped uh, underground in a mine a few years back, you guys sent down an Amico system uh, down there to help with that rescue efforts. Uh, can you tell the audience a little more about that because you guys were quite instrumental in keeping those people alive and what Amico did in that situation. Yeah, that was kind of a unique one. We actually got a call uh, from our Chilean distributor and said there was a crisis in place. Uh, that there had been some some miners trapped. Uh, we had a system on the floor uh, that would uh, help them, uh, you know, immediately with their their immediate needs. And uh, we actually air freighted uh, one of those systems to that customer uh, so that they could pump air down into the mines where they were trapped to keep them alive. So that was kind of a unique situation. We didn't really know what was going on, uh, to be quite frank. We uh, had no idea the global exposure that this would eventually get. I mean, we're in the life-saving business. This is what we do on a regular basis, but then this one, it was kind of a neat story to hear what actually took place and that everyone had survived. Um, and our equipment, which was above ground, pumping air down to them to keep them alive, uh, was certainly instrumental in keeping uh, you know, everything status quo and for them to come out and see their families. Uh, but we just didn't know that it would, you know, be such a big phenomenon and be followed by uh, everyone that was followed. It was neat, you know, for us to see the president uh, come out there and, uh, you know, oversee the rescue mission 
and it felt good, you know, even just for our employees to see that uh, Emico, you know, was able to step up and help. And my, to my understanding, the, our equipment is now uh, in a museum uh, in Chile uh, on display as part of that rescue mission. Cool. So that was just a neat one. That was a good one to, to remember. I came by the uh, offices there a couple, or last week, and one thing that we talked about was karma. You said karma's been a really important thing in your success. Why has karma been so important to you? Um, hmm. Well, I just, I have so many great examples in my life where uh, you just, if you do, I just am a big believer in karma. You know, if you do good things for people, it just comes back. Always has. For me personally, um, and I, I just because of the data that I've accumulated over the years, I just think that you know sometimes when you uh, talk about you know religion and things like that, I think what they're ultimately trying to do is uh, you know help people, right? They just want to kind of focus people on good things uh, and. I, I'm not an overly uh, religious person, uh, but my religion, if I were to have one, would be karma. I just think that if you help people and you have good intentions and you're sincere about it, uh, you know, for one reason or another, it comes back to you. And I don't do it necessarily for that intention. I just kind of look at it and say, um, people have helped me a lot along the way. Uh, you know, people often say you're self-made. Not always. I don't think so. I think uh, even the self-made people had help along the way. And people that proclaim they were totally self-made, uh, yes, you had to make the risks. Yes, you had to do all these things. But ultimately, somebody helped you. And I think if you just keep helping people, uh, it just comes back. So for me, karma, is, it runs very, very thick inside of uh, this company. And it uh, uh, starts with Albert and goes straight down from there. One thing I noticed when I was there as well, it seems like uh, simplifying your designs and efficiency is really important to you. You're always kind of minimizing things. Why is that important to you? Uh, well, it, when it gets down to the design process, uh, first of all, you want to make sure your bill of materials are as inexpensive uh, without sacrificing quality as you can get it. So if you can have a great uh, high value, high quality product with a low price point. Uh, it just makes a huge difference in the marketplace and it gives me the ammunition to fight my competitors. And on top of that, I want it to be able to be produced easily. And then when it's in the field, it needs to uh, be easily maintained. So we have products that require regular maintenance and then we have products that you know, we just come with a, a, a five-year warranty, for example. So we offer, you know, one of the highest warranties in the business on our products, uh, and we stand by that. And I think a huge part of that is is in the design. So if we design it right from the beginning and we get great suppliers, we have suppliers all over the world, uh, if we just make sure that they have a high standard of quality like we do, uh, when we bring things in and, and we assemble them uh, and ship them out, uh, these are high-caliber products. Shifting gears a little bit, uh, what's your favorite book or the book you've gifted out the most in your life? 
Uh, for me, I always push Anthony Robbins. Everything is uh, kind of goes back to his beliefs. He's, uh, I think the first book I read was Awaken uh, the Giant Within. So that's my favorite. Yeah, you always recommended him to me, and you always preached become an excellent communicator. That's one thing I remember from one of your early mentorings to me was if you want to be successful at anything in life, you have to become a really good communicator. And I think Tony Robbins is an excellent example of that in yourself now, too, is you really have to be able to communicate your ideas or else you're not going to get anywhere. Yeah, now with that, I, I will interject one other thing is uh, anyone listening, uh, if you want to be a great communicator, go to Toastmasters. That's another big, um, I think, support service that's available to anyone. You can go to Toastmasters.org and join and sign, sign up with a club. And at that club, you'll learn to become a very effective public speaker. Last question. You, we talked about legacy. Um, what kind of legacy do you want to leave behind for yeah, your kids, the people here? Do you ever think about that? What's kind of the legacy you want to leave behind for, uh, when you pass away here? Uh, you know, I, I, it's funny. I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that, as crazy as it sounds. I think uh, I spend more time just... I, I want you know, my kids to, to grow up with that same karma philosophy. That would be the biggest thing for me. So I would want them to, uh, you know, want to help other people, uh, do what they enjoy to do, whether it's, you know, business or, or not. And um, I, I would just, I'd, I'd like to just try to help as many people do what I've done. So at some point, you know, I'd like to uh, help other people start businesses, and I think that's what will happen down the road for me. Any last words or a piece of advice you want to leave the uh, audience with? Uh, the last one would be uh, find a mentor. Sums up the conversation quite nicely, actually. <laughs> there you go. If uh, people want to reach out to you on LinkedIn or any Twitter, do you do any social media there? Uh, yeah, I do LinkedIn. So I'm on... Uh, um, you can easily find me on LinkedIn. That's the easiest way to, to, to connect yep. with me. I'll put the uh, contact info in the show notes for all the audience members as well. All right, well, thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Wayne, thank you for your time. Appreciate you taking the time of your day. I know you're a busy guy, so appreciate you sitting down and uh, chatting with me today. All right, thanks, And Phil. for everyone else that wants to uh, keep getting regular updates on the podcast, subscribe to your next chapter in the iTunes store or uh, check out the blog, www.philipserpinski.com.